Well, good morning, Sailorville. If you brought a copy, if you brought a copy of Scripture with you this morning, you can find Jeremiah chapter 9. The Scripture will come up momentarily if you don't, so don't worry about it. Jeremiah uh, chapter 9. We're doing a series throughout the summer called Issues and Inspiration, dealing with the issues of our day and the inspiration. That's The inspiration is God's Word, what it has to say about it. And today we're talking about biblical literacy, knowing, obeying, and enjoying uh, the Word of God. Now, Jesus said these words once. He said, he who is of God hears God's words. Have you ever read that? Now, you've heard that question a number of times from me, haven't you? Have you ever read that? I've been saying that for 30 years, all 21 here and nine before it, but I was pastor for a few years before I started saying that. That actually isn't original with me. In fact, the person I heard say it probably only said it one time in her entire life, but I was absolutely thunderstruck by the question. I was in a conference in 1989 in Omaha, Nebraska, actually Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, back to the Bible, and Elizabeth Elliot, now with the Lord, was speaking. And she was talking about a very obscure passage in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians. And she made a comment, and then she paused, and she said, have you ever read that? And I was so struck by the question. Because it, was, it, it had double implication. Uh, impl- uh, impl- I can't even spit my words out. Third service, sorry, guys. <laughs> Implications. Twofold implication. One is that some of us hadn't ever read that before. Okay? Uh, the other, that we may have read it, but it has never registered. Have you ever had that where you read something? Oh, I've never seen it like that before. Sure you have. So that I thought to myself, this would be a great question to ask when I preach. And so I've been doing it for 30 years. I had somebody a couple of years ago in our church uh, write me and say, and that bothered me every time you'd ask, have you ever read that? Because I'd never read through my Bible. She goes, now I have, and I can say yes every time you say it. How many of you, you don't need to raise your hands. I don't want to see your hands go up. But how many of you have actually read through the Bible? Now, with that in mind, how many of you have had the Bible read through you? And that's a legitimate question. What does that mean, besides just being a, diff- a turn of phrase? I think it, it has to do with our hearts being on fire by the word of God. That reminds me of Jeremiah, who I'll quote several times today, who said, I, he got so tired because nobody would listen to him. He said, I will not make mention of him or say anything else about him. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. I was weary from holding back and could not. Have you ever read that? Anyway, Amos, another prophet, once said, the days are coming, says, saith the Lord, when I will send a famine in the land, not a famine for food or a thirst of water, but of hearing the words of God. And I think we're living in that day. In fact, I think it's a self-inflicted famine. I think, personally, when it comes to issues with the issue, the greatest issue within the church, and we're dealing with all kinds of issues, as you know, from abuse to mental illness to racism, social justice, we're trying to tackle as many as we can from a biblical perspective this summer, but 
from the biggest internal issue, from my estimation, is the self-inflicted ignorance of God. The self-inflicted famine. If you're going to become literate, biblically, you have to read the Bible. I mean, the man who has mentored me for 37 years said to me a few months ago, Pat, men don't read their Bibles. Now, by the way, if you're a guy who reads your Bible, just chillax, okay? Jeez, somebody comes to me, oh, I read mine. I don't care. I mean, I do care, but you know what I mean. So right here on this table is, is a collection of all of my Bibles from all of my, my entire Christian life right here. All of these, and every one of them has a story to tell. So this is my first one. It's just a New Testament sent to me by my brother. I, I have literally memorized the little note that he wrote on here. He wrote, he wrote uh, Pat, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to somebody who isn't. And then he quoted Mark Twain, who said, most people worry about those scriptures which they do not understand. But as for me, the scriptures I worry about most are the ones I do understand. So then he goes on. So faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Pat, I hope this book changes your life as it did mine. He had no idea, but when he wrote this, and the way it, it was a day earlier that it had changed my life. I trusted Jesus. Here's my first Bible, the new Schofield Reference Bible. I loved this Bible. I walked around the house with the Bible, and I've got the word of God. I've got the word of God. This is the one that got run over once. And it's got Sarah was a year and a half, got a hold of an ink pen and wrote all over the book of Genesis. That's her, that's her references in that Bible. This is my bathtub Bible. Well, I don't, not anymore. It's not really meant to be a rubber ducky or anything. But, but when I was in Bible college, I used to work at UPS and I would work until three or four in the morning. I'd come home and I'd take a bath and I would read this Bible and I would fall asleep and it got about six baptisms. I literally, my wife would find it hanging up every once in a while. But it's got a lot of notes. Let me tell you something. You think of some crazy things at 4 o'clock in the morning. They're all in here. This is my crow wing Bible. I call it that. I used to preach from it. It's the New King James. I love this Bible. It's got lots of notes in it. But I call it the crow wing Bible because uh, uh, in 1995, really 91 through 95, I was preaching along the crow wing river in Minnesota and while I was preaching uh, there, one time when I was preaching, and it might have been the very time just when I got back, my wife passed away right after I came back. But anyway, it's in this passage of scripture in, uh, in Ezekiel. A friend of mine was preaching in here in Ezekiel, and I'll find it, here it is, uh, where he was, he was preaching on Satan, and Ezekiel does talk about him here. And while he was preaching, a fine mist was coming down around the fire. And all of my ink got blotched all over just from the rain coming down. It, the whole thing is blotched. But I'll never forget that. That's what I remember about this Bible. Here's a Bible that my first wife gave me and signed. Here's another one that my wife Marilyn rebound for me with my favorite notes and lots of others. And I don't want to forget this one here. This is another Bible. <laughs> Some of you are using now, too. But in all the years that I've preached, uh, even this, you know, like the blind squirrel that finds an acorn once in a while, I've, you know, I've stumbled across a couple of inspirational thoughts in my day. I've put out there before God's people in 33 years of preaching. But those are my thoughts. Those are my musing. 
Those are my interpretations. And every single one of them is a click away from the word of God. Good or helpful as they may be. I even asked the staff a few months ago to bring their favorite extra biblical quote. And man, they came with some fan mammoth quotes that I wanted to memorize myself. Awesome stuff. But every one of them, a click away from the truth. My goal this morning is to help you on your way toward biblical literacy. Okay, on your way. What are the goals of biblical literacy? That'll be the first question we're going to answer. What are the goals to becoming biblically literate? And by that I mean how to know. By literal I mean how to know, how to obey, and how to enjoy the word of God. Okay? Now, Jeremiah, I have had you turn there. This is what Jeremiah, first of all, he says, let, you know, he says, let the wise man, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom or the mighty man glory in his might. Not, let not the rich man glory in his riches. And then this, let him who boasts, boast in this. And here it is, that he understands and what? And knows me, that I'm the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So I want to look at this as a base text, but also bring a few others in on what are the goals on biblical literacy. And quickly, here's the first one, to understand God. That he understands me. That's what God says. Now, understanding means Understanding God, that is, means that I am accumulating. That's the key word here. I'm accumulating certain knowledge about him. And in this text, it's that he practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness. Have you ever said to somebody, I didn't know that about him? You've said that, haven't you? Have you ever spent time in a developing relationship and suddenly you learn something about that individual you didn't know before? Sure you have. That's what... That's what a relationship is all about. That's what coming into an understanding is all about. Now, just the other day, I was in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, performing a wedding on the beach, you know, doing that suffering for Jesus thing. And, uh, you know, it was such a joy because the man, Brian Campbell, my friend, he's a member of our church, came to know Jesus just a year and a half ago. He was a widower, and God had taken his ashes and turned them to beauty, gave him a beautiful wife, Kim. We had a great celebration. Now, if you know Brian, Brian is the quietest, meekest. He's not animated in any way. Not, I mean, he comes to our cell group, and he's quiet. He's, he's just the most gracious man. But man, you turn him loose on a dance floor, and this is what you get. I was sitting there with my wife, and for an hour straight, he never stopped this for an hour straight. I'm the guy with, you know, concrete shoes on. And I learned something about my friend Brian. The guy can dance. As in our pursuit of biblical literacy, we're, we're constantly trying to understand something else about God, accumulating knowledge of him. And then to know God, to understand and know me, that I'm the Lord. Now, if understanding involves the intellect, knowing involves our hearts. It involves our passions. It also involves our obedience. So when he says, to know me, the word know means to know by experience. This is the same kind of knowing that the Apostle Paul, later in the New Testament, said, I want to know Jesus. I want to know him. I want to know the, the power 
of his resurrection. I want to fellowship in his sufferings. I want to be made conformable unto his death. That's the whole process of biblical literacy unto knowing God. And then to love God. That's, that's another goal in biblical literacy. If we're not loving God, there's, there's a disconnect happening. I mean, don't you, don't you love the person you communicate with, your spouse, your children, your friends? Uh, Jed Wilkins says, love, the command from Jesus is to love God with your mind, not your pastor's mind. Now, she's referring to what Jesus said in Matthew 22 when he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Worship and interacting with God unto biblical literacy involves your mind. You have to be a thinking person. And again, Wilkins says, we're to love God with our mind, not the pastor's mind. Reminds me of George Whitfield, the great reformer who was talking to a woman one day. He said, what do you believe? She said, well, I, I believe what my pastor believes. And he goes, well, what does your pastor believe? Well, he believes what my church believes. He goes, okay, well, what does your church believe? Well, they believe the same thing. <laughs> the humor of that is that's where some of you are at. What do you, what do you believe? You believe what your church believes. What do you believe? You believe what your pastor says. This is foolishness. God has given us his word to know him and to worship him and to become literate in our minds. God wants our minds involved in our worship. This is why he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I will pray with understanding. I will sing with understanding. If we want, our mind, if we want the mind of God, we need look no further than the word of God. This is the mind of God. Think about this. I am holding the very mind of God. So this is what we're talking about, loving God with our minds. And then to be fully equipped by God. We're talking about right now the goals of biblical literacy is to be fully equipped. Many of you know the scripture. All scripture, this is, that's the Bible, is inspired by God. Wonderful. It's useful for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the person of God may be complete, watch it, fully equipped for every good work. The Bible gives us all of that, doesn't it? By the way, the basic concept of being a disciple, and Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations, right? What is a disciple? Well, we've kind of, we've kind of come back to the idea, well, it means it's one who follows Jesus. And that's good because Jesus did say, follow me. And that's what they did in Bible times. They followed the rabbis. So that makes sense. But what does that mean to follow? Really, in, when it comes to being a disciple, the best word in our own modern vernacular would be apprentice. We, it just seems like a weak word. You know, go and make apprentices of me. <laughs> yeah. But if you think about it, that's what an apprentice is. An apprentice follows the master, the one who knows the job, whatever you're apprenticing in. You follow, you do what he does. You, you might even say what he says. You grab the same tools that he grabs, and you follow him. But to what end? That you might be fully equipped. To what end do you, are you an apprentice? so that you don't have to follow that dude anymore, so that you're actually doing it on your own. Now, in a sense, we're always following God, for sure. But at what point do we get, do we get off the bus and start serving Jesus? Be doers of the word, not what? 
hearers only. And by the way, when the Bible speaks of being a hearer, it's talking about, it's not just talking about being audible. When Jesus said, he who is of God hears God's word, he wasn't just saying listen. The word hears there conveys the idea of, of not just listening, but believing and acting, obeying. All of that is implied here. And to be fully equipped of God means that you don't just take the knowledge of God, you do something with it. As an apprentice, you start to act upon what you know. This is, this is where some of you are just stuck, and you've always been stuck here, and you'll always be stuck here because you're so stubborn. You think that just accumulating knowledge is an end to itself, and that is just foolishness. God has given us his word so that we might be literate and as such, doers of the word, obedient children of God. You don't have to be a Baptist to say amen. And also, the other goal is to be set apart by God. Remember, when you read your Bible and you study your Bible and you spend time in your Bible, the Bible itself tells us that it, it separates us for God. Here's, what, here's how Paul put it to the Ephesians in Acts chapter 20. He said, now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. One of my favorite expressions, descriptions of the Bible. To the word of his grace, that he might sanctify you and set you apart and give you an inheritance amongst the saints. So the Bible, when you spend time, it actually is a vehicle by which God gives us grace. Don't you want the grace of God? Then you need to be in the word of God. And it, what also it does is it, the, and the last thing I want to share by way of, of uh, the goal of biblical liter literacy is it, to accurately proclaim God. Have you, has anybody here ever heard somebody inaccurately proclaim God? I have. It's very painful. It's very painful. And I have in my mind a fellow by the name of Apollos in Acts chapter 18, verse 24. Here's a guy that he comes along, he comes to Jesus he doesn't know much, but what he knows, he's preaching it. I mean, and he's preaching it with power, and he's very effective. And these two, this couple comes along, their name is Aquila and Priscilla, and they're listening to Apollos, and he is very powerful, and he, but he just doesn't know much. He's not all that accurate. They take him aside, and they teach him the word more, the word is in there in Acts 18, 24, accurately. The word means to be exact. It, it carries the idea of, of, uh, of, uh, of, of having, getting to the point of a matter, or getting to the end point. Have you ever listened to a sermon where you go, land this thing? That's the idea here. I mean, Apollos was just all over the map. He couldn't land anything. Here comes Aquila and Priscilla, and they give in the word of God more accurately so they can more accurately proclaim Jesus so he can land that thing. So what is the path to biblical literacy? You want to know? Say Yes. We'll go on. First, reverence for the word. You've heard me talk about reverence before. When I was 17 years old, I fell in love with a 16-year-old. And I know, 17. And uh, she went off on vacation, and while she was in Florida, she wrote me a postcard. I still have it. Uh, a little gobbledygook about what she was doing on the beach. And then she says, uh, love you. Nina, I didn't know she loved me. I stared at that thing for hours. I memorized that thing. Love you, love you, love me. Love, she loved me. 
I reverenced that card. And I know what you're thinking. 17 years old, you know, whatever. Snot knows, who knows what they know about love at 17. 20 years later, a widower, I got a card from Marilyn. Same thing. Said, love Marilyn. Love Marilyn. Do you say love to all of the other guys that you write? This is the first time we'd communicated. I reverenced that card. That meant everything to me, so to speak, humanly speaking. As a little Catholic boy growing up, we reverenced the Bible. The priest would hold it up, thus saith the word of the Lord, and we would say, praise be the Lord our God. If we drop the Bible, you're supposed to pick it up and kiss it. But it was all sort of just religious ritualism is what it was. How do we reverence the word of God? We reverence the word of God by believing it. We reverence the word of God by loving it. We reverence the word of God by recognizing its truth and its authority that all scripture is inspired by God. We recognize, uh, we, we reverence it when we recognize the power of the word of God to go to places that only it can go. As, as Paul says in Hebrews 4, the word of God is living, it's active, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. And I am reverencing it when I recognize that. And it's power, as Jeremiah says. He says, let the prophet who has a dream tell his stinking dream. Doesn't say stinking, I threw that part in there. But he says, let him who has my word speak it faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat? Is not my word like a fire, like a hammer that shatters the rock? That's the power of the word of God. Some of you have experienced it. You've, you've, you've been under conviction. It's brought you to Christ. It's brought you to repentance. There's great power. That's how we recognize and reverence the word of God. And by memorizing it, Job says, I've treasured the words of your mouth more than my necessary food. And by doing as Isaiah, I'm reading through Isaiah right now. It's taking me forever to get through Isaiah. But, I got, but you come to 66, and what does chapter 66 say? This is the one to whom I look, the one who is humble and contrite, and watch this, trembles at my word. That's how you reverence the word of God. Augustine said the Holy Scriptures are our letters from home. So reverence the word of God. Reserve time for it. I know what you guys, I know it's a busy world. I got news for you. It's always been a busy world. You know, I got, oh, I pop it in, I pop a tape in, or I, who puts tapes? I don't even know why I said that. Whatever, turn my phone on, whatever. I listen to it audibly as I drive down the road. And so I'm trying to catch the little God before I go to bed. How about starting the day with him? How about reserving some time for him before your whole busy day, before the day swallows you up? Because it does swallow us up, doesn't it? My days get swallowed up. I get it. Here's the Apostle Paul. He's in prison. The Roman axe is sharpened. It's ready to take his head off. He's dying. He knows he's going to die. He's in a Roman mammoth time prison. I've been to that prison. I've been in the very spot where he was taken out after languishing to be killed. It is dark. It is damp. It is cold. He's writing to Timothy at the end of his life. He says, Timothy, come. I want to see you. Come before winter. And if you come, bring my cloak. It's really cold in here. And bring the books, referring to the commentaries. And then he says this. When you come... Especially bring the parchments. 
That is a direct reference to the word of God. Now, here's a man that's dying and is reserving time to spend time with the very living God he's about to meet in short order. When Douglas MacArthur, the general over the Philippines before World War II, heard that Pearl Harbor had been bombed, instead of reaching for the hotline of the White House, he reached for the holy line to God's house. And he asked for his Bible and spent 10 minutes in the Word before he responded to that crisis. Read the Word. I mean, that's elemental, isn't it? exercising the powers of observation that God has given to those of you who know him. Now, I know not all of you know Jesus. I get it. But to those of you who do, you pray with the psalmist, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from your law. And you get the powers of observation. Take the words of Sherlock Holmes to heart. Watson, you see, but you don't observe. You need to observe, stare, like a professor of mine once said, stare at it. That's what I do. Stare at it. Howard Hendricks, the esteemed professor at Dallas Seminary now with the Lord, used to say, the thing that makes one person a better student of the word than another is that he sees more. That's all. I love that. That's simple. What makes one person a better student of the word than another is that you see more. And then rely on the word. This is what we do in the path of the pathway to biblical literacy means not only do I absorb the word, rely on it, read it and all that, but that, I mean, that is I rely on, I trust what it says. It changes my life. Let me show you a timestamp from my Bible up here, okay? This is uh, from Psalm 63, verse 3. Because your steadfast love is better than life or better than life itself, my lips will praise you. Now, I highlighted it, and I wrote a note. That's the note I wrote on that day, on July 23rd, 2011. It's a verse I shared with Dustin Rankin, a member of our church, whose wife had just died on that day. And this is the verse I read. That God's loving kindness, as I said to Dustin, you need to realize, my friend, in your hurt, in your sorrow, in your difficulty, in your heaviness, God's loving kindness is better than life itself. And he drank that in. It was like I'd just given him a fresh cup of water after a five-mile run. He just drank it in. And I was so encouraged that it blessed him. Except two years later, I was under duress because my son was off the chain. Some of you have heard the story. Not walking with God, had been in and out of jail, was ready to go back to jail if he, if he didn't come back. He was off, running around, wasn't answering the phone, wasn't answering the text. I was so concerned for him. I was so overwhelmed with my burden for him. I was crying out to God for him in my bed. And God spoke to my heart. He said, you don't trust me. And I, I said, yes, I do trust you. He said, no, you don't. I said, yes, I do. He said, no, you don't. He said, I sense the Lord say to me, is my loving kindness not better than life itself? And will you not love me more than the soul of your son? And he broke me that day with that very same scripture after I'd shared it a couple years earlier. Now, my son would later on come to know Christ. And not knowing what I, that I shared it with Dustin, not knowing that God used it in my life for him, 
revealing my own idolatry, God spoke to his heart one day that his loving kindness is better than life itself. He thought it was such a cool verse, he tattooed it on his chest. So he'll never forget it. But God has used his word as the thing, the reliant thing that we have to have in my life throughout every major move of my life. When I came to my very first pastorate, I was in Hebrews 11, didn't know what to do. Here's what it says. Abraham went out not knowing where he's going. When I came to Sailorville Church, I didn't know if I should take it. I actually hadn't even been offered it. It was under duress. I said, God, you've got to show me from this passage what you want me to do. I was in Acts chapter 16. I knew what Acts chapter 16 talked about. It was the Philippian jailer account. And then I came to verse 36. The magistrates have told you to depart. Now leave and go in peace. And God spoke to me through his word. And just last week, as our very own custodian, Mark Rice, who discovered he had a tumor wrapped around a kidney. The whole thing would have to be removed. There might be a whole lot of other mess they'd have to deal with. There was a ton of pressure, a ton of heaviness. And I, I said, God, show me what you want me to share with Mark. Boom, let's come to me. As I was reading through the scripture, my God of mercy shall come to meet me. And he'll come to meet you too. A God of mercy. If you rely on him and your pursuit of biblical literacy in the pathway to do so, we'll meet you too. And here's what I want to do for the balance of our time. This is going to be the thing that's going to change some of your lives, what I'm about to share. I want to talk to you about interactive Bible reading. This is what I have done for many years. We're in the pursuit of biblical literacy. We're talking about interacting with God through his word. Biblical literacy, you know, the, the process of understanding and knowing God and the results of knowing, obeying, loving, and enjoying him involves, wait for it, it involves communication. We're talking about interacting. To interact, the dictionary would tell you, is two people influencing or having an effect on each other. It's, a two, it's two-way information, unquote. So my wife the other day walked by the counter, hit something precious off, and it fell, and she caught it. Instinctively, she said, thank you, Lord. What was she doing? She was interacting with her God in the moment. I was there. I saw it happen. I heard it happen. Now think about this. We're talking about communication now. Interactive Bible reading. When you have a conversation with a friend, how does it go? When you have a conversation with your friend, how does it go? You talk for 30 minutes, and then she talks for 30 minutes, right? How ridiculous. You didn't even go 10 minutes in 10 minutes. You're going back and forth and back and forth, right? Now, it might be that you have something really, really important to say, and she takes the time to listen to you for several minutes and like and vice versa, but that's how a conversation goes, back and forth, back and forth, and a good time is enjoyed by all, right? That's how I read my Bible. That is how I read my Bible. My friend is talking to me. I am talking to my friend. Now, he's never wrong, so I have to give my ear to him. But he's a wonderful friend. He doesn't mind when I stop his flow of thought, his flow of words, to talk back to him as long as I'm not shaking my fist. I can raise, 
I, I, as long as I don't raise my fist, I can raise concerns, and I often do. Lord, I don't understand. Why are you saying this? Is this meant for me? What do you mean by this? Sometimes, I, like, like with a friend, you say, say that again. You'll hear your friend in a conversation. They'll tell you something. And you catch it. You heard the words. You didn't quite understand what, what he or she meant by that. You say, say that again. I do that with God all the time. And the Spirit of God comes in. And sometimes, sometimes we need to get a friend to help us to understand our greater friend, right? And that's where commentaries come in. Here's the first one I ever owned, given to me by my same brother. And I can tell you what his note says. Pat, this is meant to be a, this is meant to be a help, not a crutch. Good words. But I get... Men like Wearsby and MacArthur and Boyce and Hughes and others to help me. Friends helping me understand my greater friend. And then there's, a, and then there's the Spurge. <laughs> Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher of the 1800s. Here's a bust that was given to me by my friend Trent Smith, former worship leader here. He gave this to me out of gratitude and I actually, what you're looking at up here, I, I texted our uh, Paul Seymour, our worship guy here the other day. I said, sometimes I have to ask myself, what would the Spurge say? <laughs> Knowing if you know Paul, he got back with me and he said, too bad he's not a bobblehead. You, you could make him always agree with you. <laughs> Smart aleck. But the humor in that is that we want God to always agree with us in that conversation. But that's not the way it always goes. Because he's not just your friend, he's your father. And if he's a good father, and he is a good, good father, amen, then he's going to shape my life. He's going to shape your life. He's going to tell you things that you don't want to hear every once in a while. And sometimes, if he's a good father, he's going to change my course of direction. He's going to change my thinking. And that's called repentance. And that's where I say, Lord, forgive me, change me, help me. And how does this work itself out? How does this all happen in a, in a particular Bible study? Let's, uh, uh, let, let me give you an example. So just the other day, yesterday, I'm in Psalm 49, which is talking about the earthbound man, the man who doesn't care about spiritual things. Everything is in this world. His whole life is in this world. And the redemption of their soul is costly. No amount is ever enough. And I went, my heart and my mind went to a dear, dear friend I grew up with. I love this guy. And he's so earthbound. The only thing he can think about is making his kids better and getting into retirement, which is less than two years away. And I began to weep, and I asked God to save this man that I've been interacting with. And then I was, and I'll, let me give you a screenshot of Proverbs. I was in Proverbs chapter 29, and I read here a, a rod up there at the top right, uh, left, a rod and a reprimand impart wisdom, but a child left undisciplined disgraces its mother. Discipline, verse 17, your children, and they will give you peace. They will bring you delights you desire. And with that, I began to pour out my heart for my, I stopped right there because I'm interacting with God. I stopped right there and asked, I prayed for my children. I prayed for my grandchildren. And I came down here where it says in verse 20, do you see someone who speaks in haste? There's more hope for, the, more hope for a fool than for him. And I thought to myself, oh, God, I talk way too much. Make me a better listener. God, help me to be a better listener. I confess the sin of not listening enough 
And this is the whole interaction thing. And I came to Philippians, where I just started a, a new reading of Philippians. And when I came to Philippians, I began reading. I came to the seventh verse, where it says, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And I prayed for you. I prayed for you because I have you in my heart. Now, I started off today with the statement from Jesus who said, he who is of God hears God's words. Here's a question. Are you of God? That's just the front end of what he had to say. He was actually confronting his detractors when he said, therefore, you do not hear because you're not of God. And that might be the problem with some of you today. The word of God is dry, it's hard, you hate it, you resist it, you don't want it. Some of you are young here, and you don't want to read your Bible. There's no desire, even though you know it's God's word. There is something wrong with your soul, if that's the case. These are the words of God. These are that which imparts life to your heart and to your soul. And if you would be one of those who have never desired the word of God, there's, there's probably a good reason for it. You've never, you're not of God. You've not received the Lord. You've not believed that Jesus died and rose again for you personally. Let me say that again. Jesus died and rose again for you personally. How do I know that? Bible tells me. The scripture says so. And if you would repent of your sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be saved. Have your mind opened up. Have a new hunger for the word of God. Because I know some of you actually know the Lord, but you would, you would confess, as somebody did in the last hour, I don't desire the word of God. And they were broken. We wept and we prayed over them so they might renew their love for the word of God and treasure it. This book from God has become the word of God. Treasure it. God, thank you for your word, the Bible. Thank you for its inspiration and its power. Thank you for its encouragement and its conviction. Thank you for the times in which it just holds us up when nothing else will, and for the times, Lord, where it beats us up when we need to see our own sin. I pray for those in this room this morning, Lord, who have never believed in the Lord Jesus Christ in accordance with your word. They've never trusted the one who died for them and rose again for them. I pray that they would be sorry for their sin and believe on the Lord Jesus. For those of us who do know you, Lord, renew our love for your word. Make us biblically literate and for all that it means for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.